0: Welcome to the Big Sci-Fi Podcast, where our gang of sci-fi fans will boldly go where few fans have gone before. Okay, not really, but we'll have fun discussing and interacting with our favorite shows and films from all over the sci-fi universe. We love Trek the most, but our love for Trek means we have a great appreciation for sci-fi in general. Join our panel of sci-fi fans from all over North America and beyond as we share our opinions and thoughts on this deep and incredibly diverse genre of storytelling. Our mission here at the Big Sci-Fi Podcast is to entertain and have fun, so you'll hear all types of views in a light and fun atmosphere. If you love sci-fi, this is the perfect space station for you to dock at. We invite you to come aboard and stay a while. You've got friends right here on the Big Sci-Fi Podcast.
1: Science fiction, the final frontier of podcasts. These are the recordings of the Big Sci-Fi Podcast. It's ongoing mission to discuss strange new subjects, to seek out new opinions and new facts, to boldly discuss what we love to talk about. Starring Brian Donahue as the captain of the podcast, Adina Munana as the podcast science officer, Chris Fox as the podcast counselor, and me... I'm Steve Merkin, the guy in the red shirt that dies at the beginning of every episode. And tonight's guest star is Tommy Kraft, writer, director, cinematographer, music composer, effects creator, prop master, costumer, and maybe the guy who made sandwiches for the crew and actors for his movie, Star Trek Horizon. Welcome, Tommy.
2: Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me can't say i can take credit for sandwiches though i did order a lot of pizza okay
1: yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> great the guy that brought the pizza
2: yeah
1: <laughs> you didn't do it all then okay no, but then. i did
2: order the pizza
1: oh he made okay. sure they
3: were fed that that's that's the important stuff yeah,
4: yeah. oh yeah for sure definitely
1: <laughs> so um well tommy is the very first guest of our podcast and to start off tommy um Tell the listeners about your history, what brought you to create Horizon.
2: Well, uh, I bill myself as a storyteller more than anything else. Uh, I've always loved making movies, writing music. Uh, I've always loved movies and music in general. Uh, And I've always been a huge Star Trek fan. And so Horizon was my first feature that I made, my first feature film. Um, And the long and the short of it is uh, that around 2012 when I started the project uh, I was super depressed and Enterprise was the show that helped get me through that uh, it was one of those things that helped take my mind off it and when the show was over I had seen it before being a Trekkie but you know re-watching it as you know a little bit older more mature eyes I really appreciated it and the fact that it didn't have that season five that I really wanted, that I thought was really cool, kind of inspired me. And I thought maybe I could tell my own story that would, you know, tell some of the stories they were trying to tell in season five. And it kind of went from there.
1: Well, that's true. And that's, that's kind of the thought that process that many people had was that um, season five, season six, and season seven would cover the arc of the Romulan War. Which yeah. was covered in the subsequent books that followed, um, in the years that followed, uh, *The Good That Men Do*, uh, *Kobayashi Maru*, and the two uh, Romulan War books that were written about, which follow the story very, very well. And um, again, you bring up certain things in your film that were actually going to be in the were in those stories. Um, So it's almost that you tried to create, uh, your own, um, enterprise type story. And that's what made it so unique and special.
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, I didn't read the books. Uh, I'm a, I'm a reader, uh, out of necessity. Um, and I'm sure the books are great. I've always heard good things about them, but I also feel like some of the directions that I went, you know, are kind of, uh no brainers in some ways in terms of where the story could go Mm -hmm. Uh, not to uh, disparage uh, you know anything I wrote or that's in the books but that's why I wouldn't be surprised if there was you know some crossover there
1: well the the battle that you talk about at the end of the movie is actually in the um, Star Trek the first 150 years and also in uh, the second book of the Romulan Wars so To me, that seems like you you had some knowledge going in uh, when you were writing the script.
2: Oh, for sure. I mean, I I did my research, uh, you know, a lot of time on Memory Alpha, plus just being a Mm. huge Star Trek fan, uh, you know, and I went back and rewatched a lot of episodes from TNG and the original series and DS9 and Voyager and all that for inspiration and research. And you know, there's little tidbits that are pulled from all of those, and I think that battle you're referencing is the Battle of Sharon. That's um, correct. And uh, yeah, that's never
1: a typical d- battle in the war that actually is, yeah. that ends that ends the war. So yes.
4: Yeah. So the, sorry the, the battle that was that they were
2: leading up to at the very end went like you got to go back out. We have the fleet assembling.
1: Mm-hmm. Is
4: that
2: okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, there was a brief moment where there was maybe going to be a sequel. Uh, and mm-hmm. that was going to be, you know, all about that. Uh Alas, it was not meant to be.
3: <laughs> I- I'd like to hear about more about that. That sounds like an interesting story.
2: <laughs> the sequel? Well,
3: No, you, well, the kibosh.
0: But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> before you get into that, let me go back to a real because I think that is interesting. I am uh-huh. fascinated by fan productions and all the politics and everything the studios have going on um, with you guys, too, that are. Trailblazers um but you said something about enterprise kind of really helping you through a season of depression and um i just i i think that is a cool story that many trek fans have it, and i think i'm sure it's with uh, any number of shows too outside of science fiction too but with star trek in particular it seems like there's just a lot of stories i've heard i don't know a lot of people that said hey this season or this this series really helped me just keep going. It helped me have hope. You know, it kept me interested. It kept me entertained. Um, And then you took it a step further, Tommy, and actually created something too um, out of your love of enterprise and what it did for you. So I think that's a special, that's a really cool special story, man.
2: Well, thanks. I appreciate that. You know, I think it's, that's the cool thing about art. And that's one of the things I love about art is that art inspires art inspires art um and i've had people tell me that you know my movie was helpful to them and it really oh fantastic and that's kind of a nice little full circle moment for me Mm -hmm. um and it's especially you know we live in a time where we have access to so much great entertainment uh and whether it's video games movies tv shows I just that's one of the reasons that I create is because I love the idea that something I make
0: can be helpful to someone else the way it was helpful to me. Cool. Now now back to Adina. Sorry I so rudely interrupted. It's okay
3: but and I don't know maybe my my question or this question or topic is for a little later but so you made a movie and so I hadn't heard about the movie until, you know, Steve had told us about this. So I'm, I'm fairly new. I, I watched it. I enjoyed it. And so, of course, I didn't know much behind the, you know, movie until I read the article that Steve wrote about it too recently, which at the end, it had this little mention about how there was going to be a sequel until the studio put a kibosh. And to me, that was very, <laughs> I mean, a lot of things are interesting. I really want to hear a lot about just how uh, the movie was made because I'm very interested knowing you know being outside of this industry um i am just fascinated by how movies are put together and all that goes into it uh but i'm also very interested in that because it it just it is sounds a little gossipy (laughs) like a little fun (laughs) gossipy thing um well
2: everybody loves some tea um and so the tea around uh the sequel i mean That was, what, 2016, 2017 now. So it's kind of a little fuzzy for me, but I was I'd written the first movie on my own and I cast Ryan Weber as the chief engineer, Francis Brooks in the movie. And it turned out that he lived. uh, I mean, obviously in Michigan, because that's where I lived. Uh, He lived on the other side of the state, but he had made four Star Trek fan films himself back in the early 2000s, which I didn't know. Wow uh when when he first auditioned uh for anybody who remembers they were the Encarta series they're oh, not yes yeah I have,
0: heard of, I have seen those
2: they're sadly not on the youtubes anymore um, um I think there's a trailer or two up there but uh Ryan and I got on swimmingly uh because we're both huge trekkies obviously we're both filmmakers he's an actor too and so when we were talking about the sequel once i when I finished the first movie I was also in another uh, different mental health spiral with obsessive compulsive disorder, which is a whole thing uh, that I'm happy to talk mm-hmm. about. But um, so when I finished the movie, I was like, I don't want to do any of this anymore. Uh, I don't want any more Star Trek fan films. I probably still want to make movies, but who knows? But then I got to talking to Ryan about ideas for a mm-hmm. sequel. And we came up with a lot of really cool ideas and we just started writing and we're like, well, I guess we'll just give it a shot. Uh, so the idea was called Federation Rising, and it would have been the end of the Romulan War. Hmm. And uh, there was a lot of really cool stuff in there. We really wanted to try. I mean, who knows if we would have been able to, but we really wanted to try and get Connor Trenier in there and Jeffrey Combs. And there was going to oh. be stuff with the building of the Federation. Uh, you know, they were going to have to help out Enterprise at some point. You're going to have the, the quintessential moment where, they find enterprise adrift and the engineer goes aboard Ryan's character. And, you know, we stumble on trip and trip has his who the hell are you moment, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and there was going to be a lot of fun stuff. Unfortunately, uh, that was around the time when all of the Axonar debacle was happening. Um,
0: Oh, Axanar. Oh,
2: Axanar. Yeah. Uh, And CBS really put the kibosh on all of that. Um, and so I got an email when we were talking about launching a fundraiser to do the sequel and someone at CBS, I don't remember who now, was like, "Hey, you probably really shouldn't launch that fundraiser."
1: <laughs> yeah, cuz there was a rule, I mean, didn't they put out, uh, I remember you even posted I think the email that you got from them saying, you know, you can make a Star Trek movie, but it can't contain any Star Trek characters. Or reference to Star Trek characters from the past, and it can't be no more than fifteen minutes long. And you know, they just they basically made it impossible for anybody to do anything other than um, something with your own your own uh, iPhone. You know, that was about it.
2: Yeah, those rules came out around the time I was finishing Horizon and releasing it, and all of that. Um, And I was very lucky that they let Horizon slide. Uh, and didn't ask me to, like, cut it down into the two 15-minute parts. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I was kind of like the last one that was able to do that. So I was very grateful that they at least, you know, let Horizon be out there. Because, man, that would have sucked oh, after goodness. three, three yeah. and a half years of hard work if they were like, yeah, actually, you can't release this thing.
3: Yeah, <laughs> I, you know, I, I would think that, I mean, if anything... It helps to reinforce the brand. It helps to bring people into the franchise and keep people into the franchise. At least that's that's how I see it. So you would think that they'd be all for fan stuff. You know? Yeah.
4: Did they ever explain what their like main concern is? Like, does anyone know why they're so touchy about it?
3: I mean, I would guess you you do lose control over your brand by allowing that to happen, but mm-hmm. So I, yeah. so I get it. Like if I'm in their shoes, we don't know what someone else is going to produce. Right. And it might not, you know, be a certain quality that we want it to. So it could, it could degrade the brands. So I, so I kind of get it, but I also am like, but there's so much quality fan stuff. So let the fans, do. I, I don't know. I mean, I get it, but.
2: Really the whole thing is, is, is the axe our grift and, you know, I'll use the word grift because that's what it was.
3: So I'm not sure really what that you guys are talking about when you mentioned that I'll admit a little um, bit behind on it. Confession well. time. I don't know. And so I'm <laughs> sure a few listeners probably don't know either. So someone's going to have to explain.
2: Well, the, the basic recap, cause I worked on prelude to Axanar. Oh, uh, did you really? Yeah. I was their their compositor. Cause they shot the whole thing on green screen. It was unpaid. Yeah. So they raised a hundred. There, there's a couple things that happened. There was renegades. Which was mm. like the first like giant Star Trek fan film that had Tim Russ and all of these other people in it. And then Axenar comes along because Alec, the guy behind Axanar, uh, the producer and the guy playing, um, uh, what's his name? Garth, Richard. Admiral Garth, yeah, yeah. Uh, Captain Garth, whatever, um, was personal friends with Richard Hatch. Uh, And so they launched a Kickstarter with Richard Hatch uh, and some got some other names involved and were able to raise a hundred grand to fund Prelude to Axanar, which was their first short film. And they were going to use Prelude uh, as a fundraising piece to make their feature film. So they, in in my opinion and memory, uh, horrendously misspent all of that money. Uh, And, you know, I it was like a 20 minute movie and I did The whole thing was green screen. I did it all for free. I didn't see any of that money. Mm. Um, and when it came to fundraising for the feature, they attached more names. They raised over a million dollars and they started coming up with all of these weird plans about we're going to make a studio, uh, and people are going to pay to shoot at our studio and it's going to be other movies. And it started to become this weird business venture, uh, and that got the attention of CBS and, you know, Alec is still raising money uh, on occasion to make more acts in our stuff. And every once in a while they make some kind of short fan film uh, that is not actually ever the thing that, you know, they say they're yeah. raising money for that they ostensibly originally raised money for. So the, you know, they they did some kind of shady stuff. Uh, and CBS was like, we let Renegades slide. They made hundreds of thousands of dollars, but they made their thing. And it was clearly a fan film, but this is a bridge too far. And they kind of got all fan films shut down. And that was like around the 2014 to 2016 period when all of that was unfolding.
1: It's uh, if anyone saw the uh, documentary on the Fire Festival and how oh, that was put right, on yeah. about yeah, how yeah. they... They just sold a bill of goods and collected a buttload of money. Yep, and wasted it all and had nothing to show for it. And you know, so that and there was criminal charges brought up on that. So oh, not wow. that that happened with Axenar, but you can just see that uh, when you're use when when you collected the money, Tommy, it was for the actual production of the film. You didn't yeah. do it to to. You know to get rich or quick or anything like that everything went into as you explained about having to buy all the the hard drives that you had to have to store the mm-hmm. film in all the effort to have the, to cover production costs and things like that so it was all done for total legitimate reasons and i'm going to throw one more compliment at you tommy i think the reason why they let your movie go through because it wasn't bad it was good yeah and it felt
4: yeah. like a trek episode like movie and it was just it felt like watching enterprise like okay let's bring in a new crew and it was wild even to hear right even down to the sound effects it was like this is perfect you nailed everything about it Thank you. so it's like it's it's so frustrating when someone comes along and you know they ruin it for everybody else because yeah i like as i was like wait is there a sequel coming out so i'm like i'm getting the sequel vibes i'm all in mm-hmm. and i didn't then to hear, okay, there's no
0: right. Oh, there is. So there is okay, other. The... Yeah, sorry, Chris. There's there is other great stuff. I mean, Star Trek Continues was going. I think they were affected oh, yeah. by Continues that X and R thing. Yeah, Continues mm-hmm. was and... another one that had
2: to shut down uh, because of all of that X and R stuff. I remember having a conversation with Vic at the time, and Vic was very displeased.
0: Oh, I can imagine.
4: It was it's like, yeah, both of, both Continues and and Horizon just felt like, yeah, they're continuations of their respective series which yeah. I, I don't think you can undervalue that.
0: One of the things, too, that I, I would like to compliment you on, Tommy, is the space battle scenes. Like, the, what it made me feel it, when I was watching it for the first time, I've seen it several times, actually, um, is because it's that good. It's that fun to Thank watch. You. Um, and uh, is it made me feel how I felt kind of in that first contact opening scene, where for the first time in Next Gen, we really see kind of a really, really truly action-packed scene with different ships, and the music was so heroic when you see Enterprise E for the first time come in and swoop over top of the Defiant, you know. Um, I I got that same feeling um, first time I saw the Discovery come through, and you know, there was all this action going on. So you really captured, I think, a, a great spirit um, in this film uh, for not just for Enterprise, because that's such a unique part of the Star Trek franchise. Um, but for Trek as a whole, it, it, the film really has got it's got all the feels, man. Well, thank you. I, it's you know
2: funny you mentioned that scene. Uh, and I'm I'm glad that you uh, uh, got those feels from it because. You know, you you grow as an artist, and I, I'm I'm still very proud of everything I did in Horizon. But one of the things I would do a little differently is I would maybe less uh, obviously ape some Star Trek things uh, <laughs> because there, you know, there's a fine line between uh, homage and and member berries, mm. um, and. <laughs> uh, that particular scene, there's uh, you know, they get a transmission and, and, uh, you know, there's another ship coming in. It's the Enterprise, which is right. like direct, right. literally directly from, uh, first contact. Um, but
4: I don't it, know. I just, I understand where you're coming from, but like, I was so at any time, I just will never get tired of there's another starship coming in. It's the Enterprise mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And I'm like, <laughs> you invoke the proper feelings. I don't think it's like ripping off. It's just like, hey, this is, a hype moment and we should yeah. embrace it so. maybe well, that's the I mean,
3: definition oh sorry i was gonna say maybe that's the definition of a trick trekkie if you never get tired of here right. comes the enterprise yeah you are <laughs> or, real <trekkie."> or or, <laughs> or just another any Go
0: ahead, chris oh just gonna
4: say just in general like obviously when it's the enterprise is like even better but just generally oh, yeah. in track whenever someone says there's another starship coming in i'm like oh yeah yeah it's about <laughs> to get real and then, but I was not expecting Enterprise. I'm like, there's no way they're gonna yeah, be Enterprise. Yeah. To that was neat. I was a little surprised to have too. it show up. I was like, okay, yeah. I, I, I like
1: amazing. in the uh, audio commentary, Tommy, where you said you would have just loved to have gotten Spot, Scott Bakula to mm-hmm. do a, sp- a spoken part from are the are Enterprise. You me? That would have been awesome.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: did you try? Uh, I
2: did actually. I reached out uh to his agents, mm-hmm. uh, but got you know, pretty quickly shut down. Uh, because, well, did, did you, know, you get a response
3: I? or just crickets?
2: Uh, I got his agent's assistant. Uh, I, ju- <laughs> oh, I just
3: assistant I called... to the regional manager. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, uh, I cold called uh, the agent, Scott Baguio's agent. And I got the assistant. And I was like, I'm trying to get him for this fan film, especially because that was the time when all of the, you know, Star Mm -hmm. Trek actors were doing fan films. And the assistant was just like, yeah, he's not doing fan films. And I'm like, (laughs) cool.
3: I wonder, like, would they have gotten in trouble for, like, could he had?
2: I mean, probably not. It's unclear. I mean, Scott Bakula, certainly I still to this day, with regards to a lot of the older Star Trek actors is one of the more high profile ones, I feel like. True, true. But, you know, Those Axanar, for crying out loud, had Tony Todd and it had uh, uh, What's-Her-Face from Galactica that played and it had Colonel Ty too and and Kate uh, that played his wife, Um, you know, so they had celebrity names Mm -hmm. attached to these things. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then especially because Axanar went the way it did, I like people really started to distance from those kind of projects.
1: So you ended up having to do your own scratchy voice in the background at the end sequence <laughs> when it's the Enterprise responding to uh to Captain Hawk's call out.
2: Uh they Yeah, did I? Yes. That's so there said. was
4: someone, I wasn't sure if it was meant to be Archer, but there was someone that responded like when they check oh, hey, you. Yeah. Are you guys okay? We'll send over a team. And they're like, "Oh, great, thank you." Or yeah, it's just supposed it's really to be some it. kind of comm
2: officer, you right. know? Right, okay. right. If right. I if I could have gotten Scott Bakula, or really, honestly, any of the inter- I mean, <laughs> right. Give me Travis. I don't care. Just somebody <laughs> yeah. that, like, uh, that's there. But uh, you know, I especially because I did the movie mostly in order in terms of like the visual mm. effects and everything. I was really getting to the end of my emotional rope and you know i was like i don't want to bother trying to find an actor for this one line i'm just going to record it myself yeah yeah and that worked <laughs> out well it
1: worked out well because yeah. since the enterprise was under attack and you know their comms would have been kind of scrambled a little bit so if it wasn't a perfectly sounding voice it was good enough you gave it credibility <laughs> that's what you wanted so, to do there so
4: yeah can i ask a very random very specific question is there is is was Captain Hawk? Is he related at all to uh, Mr. Hawk from Enterprise, <laughs> or not Enterprise? First contact. First contact. Come uh, like, oh yeah, it's just like Mr. Hawk.
2: You know, that's a fun headcanon uh that I always kind of wondered about myself, uh, but you know, it's uh, not really. Um, okay. Because, especially with fan films, a lot of times they tend to run into, and not just fan films, but like, I feel like this, it, don't get me wrong, I'm not bashing new track, I enjoy a lot of it, but also a lot of times they do have this right. problem of like, you know, I am so-and-so's great-grandfather's uncle's nephew. <laughs> <That's laughs> Tie-in. <true>. <laughs> yeah. And so, mm-hmm. uh, I think realistically what just happened is I thought the name sounded cool. Oh, it's such a
4: cool mm-hmm. name. Like Captain Hawk? Come on.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you're right, it does bear resemblance to, you know, Lieutenant Hawk, pursuit course. Yes. It's exactly. So. <laughs>
4: Repair whatever I'll damage never they've not done. Say that. Just yeah. exactly. Yeah. So perfect.
0: <laughs> one of the things one of the things I'm curious about, if you don't mind, Steve. Um, no, no, please. Is, we I want uh, everybody
1: to ask their questions. How
0: how how did you assemble the cast? Like were they were they all Star Trek fans in their own Did they just need Were they looking for work um, Was this a labor We know it's a labor of love from you Was that true for the actors
2: uh, Ryan who played the engineer uh, That I was writing a sequel with Is the only one in the cast Who was an actual like Star Trek fan Gotcha. Uh, whenever he was on set And by on set I mean my parents' basement
0: um. <laughs> fantastic uh, yeah it wasn't
1: <laughs> it was the garage it was the makes, basement makes okay. me love this yeah.
0: film even more hearing that it just makes me love it even more it's so mind-boggling that it's even possible
1: if it was the basement he would have had to drown out the sound of the washing machine running in the background you know
2: uh not the washing machine but oftentimes the dog walking around upstairs or the parents <laughs> walking around upstairs um but you know whenever ryan was on set we had a blast because we were both big trekkies he had made the fan films before um the rest were people that i kind of found through the internet or had worked with before callie who played lieutenant Tamar is my best friend uh, mm-hmm. and she's a, an actress um, you might see her all over the place now doing litter robot commercials um, national mm-hmm. commercials which is cool uh, and Paul, who played Captain Hawk, I had worked with on another project that I was the director of photography. And I think that was like 2010, 2011, uh, maybe it's even 2012. Who knows? But uh, it was actually a project that was written and directed by Mark, who played uh, um, Jackson, the, the first officer. Uh, and so... When yeah, I he saw looked really Paul,
0: familiar to me, I've seen him in other stuff. Oh,
2: he yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. Um, and, you know, when I saw Paul on that project, for some reason, I just had this thought. This guy would make a good captain of a starship. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. kept it in the back of my head. And then I came up with Horizon and I I emailed him and or Facebooked him or something. and was like, hey, do you want to do this? Did, uh, did any
3: of them turn into Star Trek fans after?
2: I, I don't think so too much, uh, sadly, <laughs> um, but, you know, that's okay. I thought they all did a good job, um, oh, yeah. you know, especially because everybody on that movie was working for free um, and, you know, driving in their own time, uh, their own gas and, you know, nobody lived close. It was always like an hour to two hours away. Mm. Uh, they were they were coming to shoot this thing. And, uh, you know, it was just kind of this collection of people, and, and the cast changed a little bit a couple times when people became unavailable. Um, so, you know, it was a combination of searching the internet, which is how I found Ryan. I made a casting call um, and people that I knew. Also. How
3: long? What was the calendar time? Like, how long did this whole project take?
2: I, I started around 2012 and I finished uh, early 2016.
3: So it was not like super, this was not what you're doing all day, every day for those four years you were.
2: Uh, no, and, but it was uh, a lot of what I was doing. Okay. Um, you know, I was finishing college, I graduated college in 2013. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So there was some time in college where, uh, you know, I was obviously in between taking notes on my laptop. I was working on the virtual set, like the bridge of the, uh, the NX, or just the model of the NX itself. I'm sure uh, many of my peers thought, "What is wrong with this guy?" because I would because sit- I was also a commuter. Uh, I didn't live on campus, so I would just stay on campus for the day. And I was a music major, and I would sit in the basement of the music department with my little uh, uh, Art Asylum NX01 toy. And I would just stare at it and work on my model in between classes. Um, mm-hmm. So I was doing a lot of that. And then after graduating, uh, I was working on Horizon plus doing freelance stuff.
3: And then so throughout that, like how much of that was filming with actors versus all the other stuff that goes around?
2: I want to say that there were maybe. There was somewhere between 10 and 20 days of shooting. Um, And a day was anywhere from like, you know, a few hours with one person to like a full like 12 hours Mm -hmm. with five to 10 people. A lot of the movie was shot very strangely because, again, everybody was working for free. It was very difficult to get everyone together at the same time. So and since it was all on green screen, except for a couple of scenes, a lot of scenes were shot one person at a time, which was very hard for the actors. And I thought they did a great job. Mm-hmm, uh, pretty much all of the bridge scenes um, and a lot of the conversation scenes were shot with me just reading the other person's lines and like Paul or somebody doing their acting. And then like two months later, I'd get the other actor finally available and they could record the other half of the, oh, wow. you know, wow. the scene.
3: I'm fascinated by how that all put, you know, gets put together and then it just really seems like a continuous thing. It's, it's yeah. that, that- is all
0: fascinating to me. Oh, it's really fascinating. And one, one of the things I noticed watching it again today was the camera work. Like you, you didn't really have too many static shots, especially special effects shots. You really did a great job of making it seem like you were holding the camera yourself. Um, You know, especially like, like even when the towers were going up, you know, that camera looked like a camera operator going up you know what i mean like the camera work on this shot
2: was um that what you're talking about the scene in the woods right yes yeah yeah Mm -hmm. um that's one of the two scenes that we shot on location and it was some wooded park out in detroit um and i had some cheap you know 100 200 camera crane which is basically just a big piece of metal with some weights on the end um (laughs) And for that particular shot, I used the crane. Uh, But for most of the movie, a lot of the camera movement was done in post, which is a a whole process that is um, useful in a lot of situations because there's basically two ways you can approach camera movement when you're doing green screen or any type of visual effects. And one of them is to 3D track and recreate your camera movement in post. And 3D tracking is basically where you use geometry uh, to you track a whole bunch of individual 2d points on a screen I don't know if this will make any sense um, this is way over my head it sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> the the, uh, the the short version is there's this thing called parallax and everybody knows parallax you've uh-huh. seen it in your daily life it's when something that's close to you appears to move faster than something that's far away And so when you're doing 3D tracking, you the computer can extrapolate when you track things that are close versus far away uh, to recreate a camera movement. That is a very complex and involved process uh, that takes a lot of time and it can take easily one day for one shot or more. Wow! Um, So the way I opted to go for most of the shots in the movie was to shoot a lot of the scenes with the camera tilted on its side vertically so I could capture as much of the actor as possible uh, because, you know, cameras shoot in widescreen, so to say, Uh, the sensors are longer than they are tall. Um, So you turn the camera on its side, you can fill the frame with the actor. And then if I needed to do like a push in a dolly in on, on an actor for some sort of emotional moment, I could place that footage of the actor in 3D space on my computer, you know, like where the captain's chair is, for example. And then I could push my 3D camera in in post with uh, that footage just kind of sitting there and it all Uh kind of comes together. There's limitations to that. I don't know if any of that makes any sense. It's a very Uh difficult thing to describe without a visual (laughs) aid. (laughs)
5: <laughs>
3: no, I think well, you did a great, that was, that was awesome. Yeah. Where I did you
2: learn? I'm sorry. at the
1: oh, I was going to just
3: say, I, I got a good visual of what you were talking about from that description. That was awesome. Oh, good. Thanks. Maybe but, I should be a teacher.
1: <laughs> but if you went to college to get a, ma- a music degree, it seems like you got a degree in computer graphics, filmmaking, a number of things that you didn't go to co- college for. That
3: happens. <laughs> it's allowed. We're allowed yeah, to learn more yeah. than just the one thing we're studying. <laughs> yeah.
1: Right.
2: 100%. Uh you know, I've always wa- I think probably the thing that I'm best at is teaching myself things. Uh and so I went to college for guitar and voice and the I remember one of the clear memories I have is that my guitar teacher by the time I got to college didn't and I don't say this to brag, but he, What he had to teach me was not how to play the instrument, but how to practice better, because I'd already Mm. spent so many hours in my room just, you know, working on the instrument. Um, And, you know, what he was teaching me with practicing was just paying attention better to what I was doing. And I love music. I love movies. And I've always wanted to make movies. and, And I have made movies. And I love visual effects and science fiction. And so to me, especially because I wanted to do the Star Trek movie and other things like it, uh, I wasn't going to be able to pay for or hire a visual effects company, you know, as a college student, as a young person. Mm -hmm. And I also enjoyed it. So it's like, I guess I'll just learn how to do it. Uh, So that was where all of my time went. And, you know, you got a resource management happens. And so I didn't really get into socialization as much and making friends until after college uh, because I was always working on my thing. I was like, why do I need to go to this party? Why do I need to go hang out with these people? I got my movie to work on. Um, So that kind of happened a little bit after I finished Horizon and I was realized I needed to have some human experiences, too. So, you know, it was just a lot of time really just spent working on stuff that I thought was really interesting.
1: Well, you even mentioned uh, in the commentary on the film that or in your video blogs also about how even a few minutes of footage was hours of time you spent on the computer assembling things, even to the point where you mentioned in the uh, commentary where the pips on the uniform were not the correct shape. So you digitally remove them and then dropped in optically the correct size because you were that detail orientated into making everything as accurate as possible. So, I mean, to do things like that, that's a lot of work on something as small as that. And then trying to sequence an entire battle between the Romulans and the the NX class ships. it, it, It to me, it's it's mind boggling.
2: Well, thanks. Uh, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I, I mean, thank you. Uh, the, the pips were pretty crazy. Um, you know, I had somebody that I knew from college, a friend who was like, I can make those. And so he made them and they just weren't right. Uh, they were they it wasn't even that they weren't right. And this is with no offense to my friend. It's just they, they didn't look how I wanted them to look. Uh, you know, and After that, I'd gotten into 3D printing, which was a whole other ball of wax that was really fun to get into. And because I love learning things, I deep dive, deep, deep dove on that. Um, And so I 3D printed all of my pips after that. Uh, And for the rest of the movie, that's, you know, I had those and that's what we used. But then there was that one scene where it went from the proper tiny 3D printed prips to these pips, these gigantic. Uh, things that didn't look as good and it would have been a huge continuity error. So I had to digitally remove them, which was, you know, again, back to the whole uh, tracking thing. There was a lot of tracking, recreating character movement, camera movement, placing things in virtual space. And it was, it was, it was a whole thing.
3: (laughs) That's awesome that you could do those details because, and especially because you are a Trekkie too. It's one of those things I feel like I wouldn't, necessarily if i'm looking at uh, you know a a star trek um starfleet officer in uniform i might not know what's wrong but i'm going to be looking at them like you know something's off you know if it's if it's off it's one of those things i might not know i might not be able to put my finger on it but i would be staring at that knowing it's off but when it's all right you don't you know you don't notice um so that's that's really cool that attention to detail because yeah if it's off Everyone watching, who's a Star Trek fan, would know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we're a bunch of nitpickers. A Star Trek fan. (laughs) How do I feel
4: when I see uh, like fans dress up? I always try to remember. I have to do this whole thing where I'm like, right, they're just fans. They're dressing up. They're having fun. But I'm like, they're not wearing the correct. Uh, the insignia <laughs> is not right. Is not the right era with their uniform. And I remember ranting to my grandma about it. So <laughs> but it, it,
3: it should so make it, you appreciate the ones yeah. that can really get it right. Like how exactly good that, that I, and because how and difficult, you know, that, that's going to be.
1: That's funny you say that because we went to a convention, my daughter, Jenny and I, and she had gotten she ordered a Star Trek. Uh, dress from the original series. She didn't have black boots, so she had some knee-high bl- brown ones, and she wore those because she just wanted to look right. And some guy went, "Hey, those boots are wrong." Oh,
4: okay, I like, hate that
1: guy. What? So you know, it's like they—they people are going for accuracy as best they can. That's when you want to yell out, "Get a mind. life!"
4: yeah they wore brown boots yeah there
2: you go exactly so, maybe this officer's story is they found the boots somewhere and I don't, there's always some story you can make up yeah
3: so so what happened to the uniforms did the actors get to keep them afterwards do you
2: still
0: have a good question
2: you know it's actually a good question <laughs> i think maybe a number of them are still at my parents house um Uh, A few of them went to my friend, Eric Henry, who made the fan film Pacifica Um, Pacific 201, I think, is is what I was trying to say there. Um, I'm a bad friend. Um, (laughs) And he had because his film took place in between Enterprise and the original series. And so he had his own uniforms, but he still wanted to showcase like maybe there's still some people in Starfleet that are still wearing the NX Mm -hmm. era. Uh, so I sent him a number of my uniforms for his extras um, and I just never got around to getting them back though. I'm sure he would send them if I asked. Um, but yeah, the actors didn't end up with any and the whole process of making the uniforms was a whole thing. So I taught myself how to sew Jeez. Uh, oh, on top to of everything, right Yeah. Jeez.
4: And it's, <laughs> it's incredible.
2: It's kind so- of, thank you. It's just, it's kind of funny because you can tell if you know which one came last because uh, as I remember uh ryan's the chief engineer's his was the last one i made and his is the one that in my opinion unequivocally looks the best mm. <laughs> and mm. the most authentic um and captain Hawk or tamar's was actually originally captain hawks but i made it way too small on accident because <laughs> uh, i was still learning how to sew and you know uh there's issues here and there like the captain's collar is way too big it's like he came out of the 1970s or something <laughs> Um, I can sew
3: straight lines. That's um, about it.
2: <laughs> I didn't even catch
4: that. I was just like, okay. I'm sure you must have had access to like the official uniform somehow, that would or be something cool. close to that. But the fact that you actually made them yourself is like, whoa. Well, they looked. They looked
0: authentic. They they, they really looked authentic. Did. They felt. They felt yeah. right. It no, was, I agree.
2: But... It was pretty crazy. are 13 zippers, uh, if memory <laughs> serves. <laughs> uh, all with functional oh. pockets, by the way. Yeah, that oh, always oh, was cool. Oh. oh I was gonna
4: say, yeah, I was always impressed just in general by the the enterprise zippers because they felt like okay, this is like even though I don't love the uniforms in general, it felt like okay, this is more realistic. They're very they're, functional. they
0: are exactly. the most functional of all the Starfleet uniforms we have well, seen to date. And they do
1: if- I'm sorry, I'm gonna say they 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 definitely have a shuttle era style to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That like and the same and here here's a here's a real story. Uh Tommy, um, I have one of the um ANOVO flight jackets that they had created for the series, or they created it after the series. Yeah. And I I wore it one time uh to take a friend of mine to go see the Endeavor uh shuttle here in Los Angeles. And this little 11 year old boy walks up to me and he goes, Are you an astronaut?
5: <laughs>
1: and I said, No, this is from Star Trek, and he went. Oh, he walked away. (laughs) (laughs) But because they look real, yeah, they look like something that would be functional. And that's what—that's the uniqueness about their uniforms. Whereas, you know, the TOS uniforms look very comfortable, Mm. and the um, the the jumpsuit style from TNG are more, you know, tailor fitted and so on.
4: Oh, oh! <laughs> so I, I love. Like, do you mean? Would Sorry, you say just to you, throw that out there. <laughs> just in general, or do you mean like season one and two? Because I love season like, one and
2: two specifically. I, I oh, hate those jumpsuits. Yeah. yeah, after that, I actually love the TNG era uniforms. Uh, but seasons one and two, I just never been a fan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, every bit of offense attended to anyone.
3: I look good in next generation red. I'm just saying. Oh,
2: excellent! Uh, <laughs> well, it's a great color.
3: If if I ever okay, I am not an actor, I nor do I play one on TV or anywhere else. But if I was ever in a fan film of this kind of sort, I would want to keep the uniform. That, that's all. Yeah. I don't need anything I, else, but I would want to keep it. And uniform. I have ask for
4: a red <laughs> uniform and also just the name Commander Fox. Because I'm like, my yeah. last name, I feel like works with uh,
1: it does with work. The it Starter. does sound good. Yeah, yeah it, trainer,
4: it would totally commander. work.
1: Yeah, a good authority to it there, Chris. Yeah, exactly.
4: But I do have a another question just like not so much about the production, but I'm just wondering, how did you balance all the continuity? Because it felt like, yeah, it felt like everything you were doing was it was original, but it didn't seem like it was breaking
2: canon at mm-hmm. all. I uh, I mean, I've I'm pretty proud of the fact that I think it, as far as I'm aware, there's not really any major plot holes of continuity. And I, that basically just comes from the fact that I'm a giant fan. And when I didn't know something, I knew where to look to find the answer. Uh, and I think that it that's kind of the problem that you see with, you know, a lot of remakes, reboots, modern adaptations of things is they get people to write it and make it who aren't fans. And I've heard people say in the past, uh, before JJ made his first Star Wars movie. I remember him saying that he would never want to make Star Wars because he was such a giant fan. And uh, that always didn't make any sense to me because in my opinion, that's the perfect person Mm -hmm. to make a movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, So for me, a lot of that continuity stuff was just as I was a big fan, you know, I was thinking about how do I get uh, these people into the future to meet future guy and ah. i remembered the uh the the tricobalt torpedoes from voyager and how those tore the oh, subspace yeah. hole or whatever it was oh so, you know? didn't even catch that that's brilliant yes, there's okay. lots of little stuff in there you yeah. know for all <laughs> the trekkies uh and you know i i like to think that it's one of those things that i did in such a way that if you're like familiar with that bit of lore you'll be like okay that makes sense and if you're not you'll still be like okay that makes sense so so he was like, so the guy was the future guy. So I was like, is this
4: the future guy or like is, someone? Well, that is the question there. that is,
1: Tommy, will you say right now on national <laughs> podcast was international podcast international, yeah. international podcast was Daikon future guy?
2: Uh, yes, he, he was. Uh, uh, yeah. And, you know, uh the, the name i just have to say the name daikon people pointed out to me that that's apparently a japanese radish so maybe I shouldn't read <laughs> <Really>? that. that's <laughs> right <laughs> i was just like this that's sounds okay. cool I
3: hey mean, it sounds a... like a cool
4: like it sounds like a star trek name yeah, yeah, right? worked, yeah i mean
3: as someone who has cooked with daikon radishes before it it still works as a name it's okay you can oh, have good, things
0: things <laughs> we had no clue i had no clue yeah
1: I didn't think about this, so thank goodness his last name was in Choy, You know that would have been so. (laughs) (laughs) So I've
0: got I've got a burning question, Tommy. It's absolutely eating me up. Okay, as Mm. a fellow musician, okay, Mm -hmm. I am a huge fan of the Star Trek um, orchestrations and 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 uh, soundtracks, and I think there's some wonderful stuff in the Star Trek films. Uh, even without listening, watching the films, they're fantastic to listen to. Inspiring, beautiful, moving pieces, um, and I feel like you did a good job, really capturing the essence and the spirit of Trek, um, and putting in the right notes here and there to, to emphasize what was going on. It was, it was just I was way impressed, man, as a soundtrack aficionado for Star Trek, um, that I consider myself to be. Can you talk a little bit about that process um, In the orchestration Of the score for the film And how that came about And and how how that went for you Yeah Um, I Also am a huge
2: soundtrack Aficionado uh, in general It's Kind of a problem whenever there's uh, Hangouts with my friends And people start playing music And everybody's singing along uh, Because (laughs) Uh, I don't know a lot of popular music because a lot of the things I listen to are the latest and greatest soundtracks that really Mm -hmm. get my attention. Uh, That set of (laughs) John Mayer ever comes on. I know every John Mayer song because I'm a guitar (laughs) player and he is a world-class guitar player. Um, But uh, I remember sitting in a practice room in college in the music department trying to come up with the theme for Horizon and I came up. I was just you know, tinkering around on the piano. And I eventually came up with a the theme and I was trying to come up with something inspired by first contact. Um, mm. And so I came up with that theme and then on the computer, I worked with it, orchestrated it, uh, tried different versions of it. And uh, I feel like a lot of my big inspirations are star Trek, obviously, but uh, bear McCreary Battlestar Galactica, that kind oh, of stuff. Okay. Uh I enjoy a lot of Brian Tyler's scores. There's some of him in there. Um, mm. And, you know, it was uh, a lot of time spent in front of Cubase uh, notating music and uh, making arrangements to things. And I don't know all... if that answers your question with enough specificity. I'm sure I could get deeper.
1: And all the instruments that's used in the music are all computer-generated mu- instruments? Or were they actual you you played actual instruments, or how did that go? About
2: uh, there's there was no recording for this. Uh, it was all uh, sampled instruments, which is the brief version is basically uh, there's all these companies that make samples, which is where they record an instrument basically playing every note that it can play, uh, and then the computer you know will play back that note when you notate it. So uh french horns violins whatever uh if i had a french horn part i would notate it on the computer uh in cubase and it would then play that note for the specified length of time eighth note 16th note triplet whatever um from the various sample libraries that i have and that's how a lot of composers do this day and then you know, big movies or a lot of TV shows will still just go with the sampled libraries. Uh, but movies, uh, bigger projects will then take uh, their sampled version uh and then record a live version of it. But that's you know, obviously a whole other uh ball game that's a lot more expensive. You gotta pay for instruments recording time. I was gonna
3: say who yeah. who brings in real people anymore?
2: <laughs> uh people with money. Okay. Well, fair <laughs> uh, yeah. Um
0: uh John Williams Peter Jackson Yeah
2: Peter Jackson John yeah. Williams all those yeah, people Yeah
1: yeah yeah no I was I was at a concert recently and the um for the uh, Westlake California Philharmonic and the uh lead violinist the number one the number one violinist she was actually going to go the next day to go record a soundtrack with John Williams so Wow that's he goes awesome full orchestra he goes the the full boat that's how he's always done it Yeah but i but i think that on like one of your video blogs you talked about the music and then you showed actually the computer screen and off to the left side was all the various instruments listed and you were selecting one or whatever mm-hmm. so that's where i was asked that question because it just it's just amazing that you're able to do that
2: well thanks uh, i mean i like i said i've always loved music uh and I really enjoy, in general, putting pieces together and composing, orchestrating, <laughs> and arranging is is that's kind of the definition, you know, is putting pieces together to make a whole.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and I'm just, I'm just blown those... away
3: by the multi-talentedness. Um, <laughs> yeah, the thing. I, yeah. It's Thanks.
4: everything you're saying just sounds like I know it exists because we can see it and it's all mm-hmm. real. But the fact that, like, I, I just can't even imagine how you're able to like come up with. A, a theme and then figure out how to make it work and play. It's just all that stuff just seems like I, I have no concept for that. So that's just incredible. You did that. And then you did everything else <laughs> mm-hmm. and graduated from college. Just like, so, so you made seem that's, that's, that's Oh, awesome. it amazing. oh it's, it's, <laughs> it's amazing.
0: This is, this is an amazing thing that you have put together, Tommy, um, especially hearing the backstory and where you were in life, what you were doing. Um, and you still graduated. I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> um to, to I mean, you're obviously a hard worker and dedicated to art and your craft and um that's so cool to hear and see. What what you know, you put all this time into this film and there's pressure because you're getting emails from CBS Vicom saying, Eh, what you doing? you know, um, and uh what what you finally get the thing done and you release it what was that like and how how you know how i mean there's millions and millions of people that have seen this film how 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 did that work like how quickly what was the initial response to this and was it a payoff for you, you know, mentally and emotionally and physical, all that stuff, you know, was, were you satisfied by the result?
2: Uh, man, it's it, that. So mental health has is, is been a thing that I've struggled with my whole life. What I know now uh, is that I've had obsessive compulsive disorder since mm. literally as young as I can remember. Um, and you know, that depression episode that Enterprise helped with, uh, you know, in hindsight, depression and, and OCD are things that go hand in hand with me. And in hindsight, it was really an OCD episode and depression mm-hmm. came in a lot of ways because I was I see. obsessing so much. Um, and so when you're learning about all of these things uh, and then you wind up having a good period when you're not super educated on how OCD and things like this work, You kind of just roll with it. So I found something with Enterprise in that project that made me feel better for a while. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in 2016, when I released the film, I had what was probably the worst uh, mental breakdown of my life. Uh, And it was when OCD got... Uh, really bad. There's turns out there's like a a whole like range of things with OCD that people don't know about. A lot of people think that it's like, I just like things to be really clean. And that's uh, not at all what it is. OCD is an addiction to certainty in short. Um, And so in 2012, I had, uh, I did have contamination OCD, which is fear of getting sick. But when I was younger and I was a kid, I was raised in a very religious family and had uh, religious scrupulosity OCD, which is fear of going to hell, fear of disappointing God, um, et cetera. And, you know, just years of like panic attacks and not being able to sleep. Um, And so 2016 happened and this thing uh, called harm OCD presented itself. Because by this point I had left the faith and I had very much, you know, not worried at all about going to hell mm-hmm. and I'd done better with contamination. And what you learn is that uh you need to work on your addiction to certainty and not the specific O C D theme. Mm-hmm. Uh so harm OCD is basically characterized by just nonstop intrusive thoughts of hurting yourself or other people Hmm. and wondering, am I a bad person? Am I going to do this? Um, So uh, it's, it's a really fascinating topic and and I enjoy talking about it in depth because I think a lot of people need to know about it um, because finding other people who have this was such a a relief for me. Um, But, you know, harm OCD happened uh around the end of horizon 2016 and i started going on medication going to therapy um which is where i started to learn about a lot of this stuff but the release of horizon is not a thing that i was able to enjoy at mm-hmm. all um uh callie the, who plays tamar um sent me a picture from the premiere recently because it was uh it was actually uh almost to the day, it was like last February uh, when the premiere happened in 2016 mm-hmm. um, and I looked at the picture of me <laughs> with the other people and all I could think of from that premiere was just how out of my mind with anxiety and panic I was mm, wow. um, and so it was, it was not a, a great time um, I remember going on a local news broadcast uh, WILX, Channel 10 uh you know local director makes a Star Trek fan film and uh all I just while trying to talk to this guy on TV, all I could see was like intrusive violent thoughts, which was wow. very distressing. Um especially because I consider myself to be a pacifist. So it's a very mm. bizarre thing to have that yeah. experience. Um and so you know that whole time of releasing Horizon uh, and the time after was a time of me like really starting to understand this stuff. And uh, it's it's just it was not the uh, the victory lap that I had hoped for. And it's an example of how mental health can sometimes take things from you. But you know, at the same time, I do remember it being very gratifying to have the premiere and having a full theater and having the after party and Mm -hmm. and all of these people who were really into it. Um, And (laughs) yeah, it was it was just uh, it was it's all a blur.
3: (laughs) Can you look back now and basically be like, oh, wow, I did Uh, that. Like I made that and and enjoy it looking back at it.
2: Oh, 100 percent. One of my favorite song lyrics is from a guy Tim Minchin. And the lyric is he struck a balance between self-loathing and pride. and that's the thing that I really try to do so like there's obviously things about every project I've done where I'm like I could do this better or that better but I'm still immensely proud of it um and you know I I am immensely proud of the fact that I did Horizon and completed it and I learned so much and in a lot of ways that launched me into a career as a visual effects artist working professionally um, is that what
1: you do is that what you do right now Tommy yeah
2: it is uh, I've been a freelancer for a long time Working on indies as a solo artist mm-hmm. And uh, I'm starting At a studio next week actually
0: uh, hey, As fantastic. a full time hey. artist so.
4: Ooh, That's amazing good for you thank man you. Hey, to- th- th-
0: th- 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 Thank you qu- so much For sharing what you just oh. did too I think I think we'll probably make some podcast Notes with links to um, Some websites that Might direct people in good for, To good help for depression Harm OCD Yeah um, and uh, ocd in general because that's an awareness people need to have yeah um and mm-hmm. a Thank greater understanding no, no, of, we so. we really
1: appreciate your honesty mm-hmm. you know tommy um to be able to bay yourself out to everyone um i know that that's you know that's difficult for a lot of us to to talk about our our foils and and shortcomings but you you were very honest about it i appreciate it now i, I got one other question yeah why hasn't somebody at CBS Viacom Paramount Plus blah, blah, blah <laughs> called up this young man and said, Tommy, would you come to work for us? Because you know how to make a Star Trek movie. You know how to make a Star Trek episode. Why aren't you working for us, please? Because it just seems like and someone like Doug Drexler, who designed the nx one sees what you did because he computer he he created that all on a computer Mm -hmm. look at your work and saying this kid really knows his beans we should hire him tomorrow (laughs) not yesterday
2: i mean if i had if i had the answer to that question ryan and i (laughs) would be at cbs right now making a captain trip tucker show Mm -hmm. Uh, i don't think we haven't talked about it a lot i would (laughs) would support
4: that because aren't there rumors about uh, Scott Bakula coming back. I'm like, don't. So are they going to do more Enterprise era? And so don't they need people that know the Enterprise era? trip
0: trip was my favorite, hands down my yeah. favorite character on Enterprise. I, I love trip. I think he was fantastic. And
1: I got to say this. If anyone, they wanted to do a young trip episode or story about him, they get the kid who plays the older brother on young Sheldon. Because he looks exactly <laughs> like Tommy. Oh, I could see Harry. that. Yeah. And he's that's got that Southern yes. voice. I mean, I watch him yeah. I watch the show, I'm going, Man, he could step in and play trip at twelve at at, at, at going into Starfleet. You know, it's what the I mean things it's...
0: Trekkies think about when they're watching other shows. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> I mean that's what, I mean, I've always felt like Sheldon did such a good data. It's like, oh, it'd be so great if <laughs> not that there would ever be a crossover,
2: but it's just like yeah. the same kind of thing. That that would be really cool. Um the idea that, that we we've i mean it's not a thing that we've seriously worked on but we've bandied about the idea that mm-hmm. you know and it would it would pick up with an equal amount of time and since the show ended and trip's not actually dead oh, uh you know goodness. we would probably honestly just pretend that episode didn't happen uh <laughs> <laughs> and trip is now the captain uh, and Archer is, you know, Admiral or President of the Federation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's all sorts of things that that happen that would be really fun. And Ryan and I regularly talk about, because we're both such big fans, like, why don't they just put us in a room for like six hours and we'll just break a season for us for them? Just give us that, please.
4: <laughs> yeah. So would you would you uh, like address the final and somehow make it so it didn't happen because I know will and, like not that will and grace to star Trek, but they basically <laughs> did that in there when they relaunched, there was a line where it's like, Oh, I had this wild dream and she started explaining everything. So would you do that? Or would you just like not even uh,
2: acknowledge? I think that would depend your... on if it was me or me and Ryan doing it because Ryan's okay. like, we should just not address that and we'll just pretend it didn't happen. But I would like to kind of come up with some sort of reason why there's a a fake history about Trip dying, Um, you know? Well,
3: at, over, like, time, history, you know, historical records could become corrupted or yeah. mistaken, you know, things. Some so. sort of
2: Section 31 plot or something, yeah. you know? <laughs> I, I, ju- I just have to say, with regards to that episode, uh, it's not the worst episode of Star Trek by far. No, that uh, is probably I agree. true. Yeah. I it agree. is only awful because it's the series finale of enterprise yeah. if that had been some random episode in the middle of season two or whatever yeah. you know it would be remembered as like that was kind of a weird episode but it was kind of fun because we got some Riker action you know yeah uh, oh, yep. but it was this really weird <laughs> like even uh either Brandon or, Br- or uh, Berman both one of them talked about how like it was bad and like how they just swooped in at the last minute to try and close out all of star Trek rather than close out enterprise. And they should have done that. And so, you know, I view terror prime uh, one and two as the, as the kind of like actual finale to the show. Yeah. Yeah. That's how a lot of people feel. And and this
1: is a really,
4: like, this is not even worth debating, but I've always wondered. It's like, why did they need that new computer in the middle of the bridge? Because I, I I noticed that Star Trek always does it's like well we need to make it look futuristic or We're more add futuristic. a third to sell. So let's add a third to sell, which I feel yeah. like okay that makes it more. But like the the pillar in the middle of the bridge with the computers, I'm like that, what's it? What's that achieving? Yeah. Not that it matters.
1: Doug Drexler wanted to go with the second hull, and See, he that would have been cool. That that, that was the been plan smart. for season five. Was that to update yeah. the, the NX uh, to be the, the the um, two sections
4: so oh, we don't even get any shots of the enterprise in the final episode because it's no, all there's some shots like, it flies away at, at the end, end. Yeah. does it yeah it <laughs> yeah. flies away yeah. yeah. now yeah, i, I want to go
3: rewatch it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. count that as, that, I don't count the, <laughs> okay. like, end log. Let is, me, like, perhaps we can wrap this up yeah. by just, I, yes. I, I want to give, I want to give a, <laughs> but I want to, I just want to say to Tommy, like, this movie, Star Trek Horizon, which you can find on YouTube, by the way, for those of you listening, we'll have the link to the film in our podcast notes, you should definitely check that out like it give a thumbs up to it and put some comments on there and continue to let this film grow in popularity but I I love Tommy what you did with this film because it just it's such a great it just felt like more Trek in all Mm -hmm. the right way especially if you're an Enterprise fan and you are hungry for more of Enterprise and um, it just felt like it gave you just enough um, extra and Uh, It was just so beautifully done. The soundtrack is great. The effects are wonderful. The actors did a great job. Um, The story is very interesting, um, especially talking about the Iconians. Um, That was very interesting to me. Um, And I I just want to say well done all the way around. And thank you for working through um, all the things personally you did too, my friend, um, to make this beautiful film for us Trekkies who can't get enough um of it. Um and I'm I'm sure it has inspired many people. Um so thank you for that. Appreciate it. And I'd like to
1: I'd like to say Tommy that that as of this afternoon, fourteen million nine hundred sixty eight thousand and thirty five people have looked at your movie. If you (laughs) only got fifty cents ahead I think you'd even happy with twenty five cents ahead
5: and
4: seventy four thousand <laughs> likes. By the way, and no dislikes. Well, wow. I mean oh. you
2: can't you can't see uh, dislikes anymore, so they still oh, exist. Okay. Uh, oh. YouTube right. disregard. Yeah, but that said, uh, I but haven't still, checked 74... it in a while. Uh, but it was the ratio was very favorable. Uh, there were the ratio of likes to dislikes was very favorable. I you know I'm. I'm not petty enough to keep up on it now uh, six years later or however long it is, but uh, Mm -hmm. I I do recall people enjoying it for whatever that's worth. Well, they have to because if you've gotten 14 million
1: views,
4: that's pretty good. And just to Um, echo Brian's... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no. You go ahead, Chris. I was going to say, just to echo Brian's thought, even the fact that you picked Enterprise is that era is incredible because I'm like, I think now we're finally getting to a time where people have nostalgia for it, but even six years ago, I don't think it was really getting the love that it deserves. So
2: it was Mm -hmm. just really nice to
4: see new enterprise
2: content. Mm -hmm. Thanks. I mean, I I feel the same way. I, I've, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously the show is not perfect nothing is, uh, but I really love that show and I feel like it is very underappreciated and did a lot of really cool stuff. And so, you know, hopefully my movie uh, helps people appreciate the show more.
1: I hope so too. I know that that's that show rekindled my love of star Trek. And Same. You know, just because of the nature of it. Yeah. Adina, anything you want yeah. to offer to go out with?
3: A-, a little bit because so Tommy's our first guest that we've ever had on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, he will not be our last, but mm-hmm. I kind of want to start a guest tradition by asking mm. two kind of random, sort of un science fiction, un Star Trek related questions. Well, sounds you guys fun. ready? Yeah. Okay. okay. Hit
4: me. <laughs> first <Do it>.
3: question. <laughs> What fictional character would you like to meet in real life?
2: Mm. Oh, man, that's tough. Uh, Now I (laughs) got (laughs) to He
1: wasn't prepared for this. Sorry, no, that's the idea. Does it have to be outside of Star Trek? That's That's
4: the question. Can't it be Uh, Trip Tucker?
3: I've been been sitting here for the last 10 minutes thinking, should I allow it to be a Star Trek character, character or not? Or should I say either, or should I say, give us one of each? I, I've been debating. So uh-huh. given this is the first time we've thrown this question at a guest, just what, what pops in your head? <laughs> we'll, we'll go with it.
2: Uh boy. Um, the, See, I, I get really bad choice paralysis. Now I'm like, I got to pick the right <laughs> one. Oh uh, no. I, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's on topic. Um, I don't know if I'm ready to commit to this 100. All anymore. you have to do. Me <laughs> back, I will. But Th- that I... <laughs> that's fine because I
3: frequently answer questions like, "What is your favorite?" Blah blah blah. I frequently answer well, like as in this moment, this is my favorite. But I reserve the right to change my answer at the future time, so you can yes. change your answer yeah. at a future time, and that is okay.
1: <laughs> and it's okay to say Porthos. All right, it's completely okay <laughs> to say that. <laughs> uh,
2: you know, I think it's the easy, simple uh, answer, but. The thing that one of the things I loved so much about Enterprise was Captain Archer and in a lot of ways, his uh, the way that character was written, his ethics uh, inspired me. Uh, I, I remember one episode where he says something about testing a torpedo and he's like, is this moon really barren? We don't want to destroy something that could turn into a, a life form in billions of years or whatever. Mm and i really appreciated that uh sense of looking out for life and others so mm-hmm. I, I feel like i might go with captain archer it's, it might seem Ooh. like the easy okay. answer yeah, but that that is, is that's a okay. good that's answer okay. that is okay Just don't make him mad <laughs> I,
0: feel like, a- I feel like i feel like i feel like yelling out good answer good answer good answer <laughs> thank <There> you <laughs> go. Go. i like think like okay adina
3: your question, other question? number yeah. 2 yeah, a little easier it is a yes and no or no question do you like olives? No.
1: <laughs>
2: oh, come on. I'm disappointed. That is outrageous. That's a great question.
0: That is a great question. How could,
2: the only thing worse than olives is like putting them on things. Like, Oh, pineapple. my gosh.
1: That makes olives so much better. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to keep that. That's. That, that's a good. We're gonna these do these are that. our guest so questions. No, I I, I, are
3: there I, any I mentioned
4: <laughs> in Star Trek? I'm trying to think if there's any olive references.
3: No, this is this is a random. I know If there were, I know
4: I know your questions random, but I'm just like whatever someone mentioned. Like, did they ever mention that specific food in Trek? Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. believe they mentioned. I,
5: them I them. yeah. It's I don't, that don't. It matters. Yeah, yeah. I can't think of anything.
3: There's a lot of food stuff in Trek, but
0: not. I mentioned pencils. Hey Steve, I I feel like you you um invited Tommy onto our the big sci-fi podcast. We're so appreciative to you my friend. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you'd like to say to Tommy or to our listeners specifically?
1: Yeah, I would like to say that I was one of those people that on Facebook saw your posting of the trailer for the movie. And as soon as I saw that trailer and I saw that you could make a contribution in PayPal, I went ahead and did it without question. And then when I saw the finished product, I was so proud i mean i was I, I was seventy dollars very small amount of money but i I'm trying to in a maybe way of saying thank you for having made something that is just so impressive and that's why I wrote that article for uh, war track War Factor track because you did what a lot of us dream of doing. you were the boy who made his dream come true and for anything. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be a movie. It could have been the, you know, Tucker making his car or uh, Rutan making his, his plane that flew around the world nonstop without having to refuel. Whatever the case may be, when someone does something exceptional and the whole world gets a chance to see it and they appreciate it, I can't think of a better way of us all saying thank you and having you be the first guest on our show and sharing all your honesty with us. And, um, I guess that's, I'll leave it at that. And, um, Tommy, is there anything you want to last say before we, um, do our goodbyes?
2: I uh, thank you for having me on. Thank you for that $70 contribution all mm-hmm. those years ago. Uh, you know, large or small, uh, I really appreciate it. And, mm-hmm all of those contributions are what made that happen. Um, You know, I think the total that horizon made in contributions between Kickstarter and and PayPal was somewhere around 30 grand. So it's not anywhere like renegades or Axanar. Mm -hmm. And that all went to paying for resources, you know, buying the 3d printers for props, paying for gas, what Mm -hmm. have you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was incredibly appreciated. And I, you know, if, anybody out there wants to do a thing that they're really into you should do it mm-hmm. and uh you know also along those lines i've done things since horizon uh that i have failed at mm. and that's okay too uh mm-hmm. you know and everything is a learning process and sometimes you finish and make something cool and sometimes you don't uh, mm-hmm. and I I guess the thing I would say is that if somebody listening wants to has an idea, you should do it and don't let anything stop you and learn how to do the things you got to do to make it happen in the way that works for you.
1: Thank you. Awesome. That is so honest. I really appreciate it. So uh, we're coming, we've come to the end of this podcast. Um, next podcast will be about, the infamous Men in Black movies. One, two, three, and oh, yeah, that fourth one. And uh, that'll be run by our good friend, Chris. We're looking forward to that discussion next time.
4: Yes, we're going to try to uh, explore the mysteries of why Men in Black 1 was so successful and I guess why the other ones have not been able to uh, recapture
1: that.
3: I know the answer. I know
1: the answer. I I'm too. sorry to say we could not get Will Smith to be the guest on the show. <laughs> He's got enough problems right now. We don't want to bother the poor boy. Right. Okay. Brian, uh, any closing you can you can send us off, Brian, as you always do. As the captain of our podcast. oh,
0: you're so kind. I'm a captain. I didn't even realize it. Yes, you um, are. We I appreciate you guys. Uh, Tommy, appreciate your time, my friends, so much. Thanks for sharing your story sharing this film with the world Um, and uh, you know uh, if you want to get in contact with tommy if you want to hear more about him we will have websites linked to the um, uh, youtube link to the film he 's got music you can check out all sorts of stuff. His website is pretty fantastic actually, so we 'll have a link to that so you can learn more about him and uh, support him in other endeavors that he's he 's working on too and we 're just so appreciative of you, Tommy, appreciative of this film and uh, if you want to contact us, you can contact us at the big sci fi podcast uh, at gmail dot com and we 'd love to hear your suggestions hear your ideas for the show. What do you think do you Do you like us? I don't, you know, we'd like to to think we're a pretty likable bunch, but uh, tell us what you think. Give us your ideas, suggestions, give us your comments. We've got a Facebook group now, actually, and we're celebrating, right? I just look, guys, we've got 103 members now. Uh, Just opened this thing up just a few weeks ago and... Uh, I'm excited to see how that is going. That's one way you can stay in touch with us. We actually are on that Facebook page a lot throughout the Mm -hmm. week. So if you want to interact with us, um, we invite you to check that out. It's just the Big Sci-Fi Podcast. Uh, Look that up on Facebook. You can interact with us and other fans of the Big Sci-Fi Podcast. And uh, until next time, I hope you guys have a great week and watch as much Trek as you can, but specifically... Go look on YouTube and watch Star Trek Horizon before you do anything else. All right? Take care, everybody. Live long See and
1: prosper, my friends. Live yep. long and prosper. Take care. See
4: you out there.